Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Before we begin today's program, I'd like to invite you to join me, Debbie Blank, and Jan Weil for a special question and answer session on current events in the world and how they match up with Bible prophecy. So many things are changing so rapidly that Jan and I want to prepare you and inspire you for what God says will occur in the near future. Please mark your calendars for Thursday, October 5th from 7 to 8.30 at Redeemer Church in Omaha, 13831 Industrial Road. You can visit our website at livingwordministry.org for further details. Hope to see you there. Now, how about joining Jackie and me as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, it's our nature to want to be treated with love, respect, honor, kindness, and all those great qualities that benefit us. The best way to have that happen is to treat others as you would have them treat you. Sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what Jesus tells us in the Golden Rule in Matthew seven fourteen. He says, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. Did you notice the word therefore begins this instruction? Whenever you see therefore, it points backwards to what the speaker has previously discussed. So in order to understand how we're to treat others with respect so that we can be treated that way, we have to go back and look and see what Jesus said in the first 11 verses of this chapter. This week, we're going to continue listening to Jesus as he taught people how to be his true disciples by having a change of heart and a change of conduct so that we can follow that golden rule. Is that what you want in your life, to be a disciple of Christ? If so, are you willing to listen and obey Jesus' teachings in order to do so? And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. It's been said that judge not that you be not judged is possibly the most beloved and most often quoted verses by people who don't believe much else in the Bible. Well, none of us likes to be judged or to be around someone who is judgmental. And there seems to be a lot of judgmentalism in the world today. So it feels good to be able to push back with what Jesus in his wisdom commands in the Sermon on the Mount. But is that the full picture? Did he mean we should ignore and never judge wrongdoing? Because that presents a whole other set of problems. The good news is that as we read on, Jesus clarifies the do's as well as the don'ts about how to judge and how to treat one another in love as we continue our fourth lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. As we talk about this, about the golden rule, about not judging other people, we need to remember that God has made each of one of us perfect in his eyes. He loves us. He accepts us just the way we are. So if God doesn't judge us, why should we be judging others? We should look at people through God's eyes, just as God sees them. And let God be the one to convict them of their life or of a need for change, not us. We should be appreciating the best in others, the positive qualities. But we have a tendency to look at the negatives first before we ever get to the positives. 
So do we tend to look at the physical, emotional, or spiritual faults or inadequacies or immaturities? Unfortunately, it is our human nature to do that. And part of the reason is because if we put other people down, it lifts us up, or we think it does. It's a selfish thing that we do when we judge other people. As we open Matthew chapter 7 today, Jesus lays out that command very simply, do not judge, that touches each one of us. And as you said, we tend to judge others by their worst qualities, and we judge ourselves by our best qualities and our best intentions, because we know what our intentions are. So we give ourselves a huge benefit of the doubt that we don't give other people. What does that teach us? We should give people the benefit of the doubt. Look at the positive instead of the negative, and get ourselves out of the picture, because it's not about us. It's about God and how we treat others as well as ourselves. Well, let's look at Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Here Jesus begins the passage with those three words, do not judge. That really hits home because most of us tend to judge other people. How often do you walk out of church and say something about the pastor's clothes or a sermon that he gave that you didn't like or was boring or you thought so or the music that wasn't right or hit a sour note with you or something Or maybe someone you saw at church that irritated you or didn't do what you thought they should do. All of that is the act of judging. It's actually one of the easiest ways to cover our own sin is by looking at the faults of others. It makes us feel superior. We think we're a better person when in fact it's detrimental to our character to do that. We judge people's looks and their clothing styles, their attitudes, their behaviors, their actions. And if they're our boss, we think we can do better oftentimes. We judge just about everything. When we judge others, what are we doing? We're dividing. We're making a distinction. We're forming a negative opinion about them. In this day and age, we're coming to so many conclusions about others based on our religious beliefs or our politics or our actions that are causing division, instead of loving them and looking for the positive that Jesus calls us to do. One of the things that people would often say that they didn't like about Christians or didn't like about the church was that they were judgmental. That's something for us to think about. We don't want to be off-putting just because we're trying to follow God's words and what he says to us to do. But As they say, some people often hit people over the head with their Bible instead of loving them. A lot of what you can do to influence people is by your actions versus your words. Your loving actions can bring more people to Christ than some of the lectures you can give someone. We're not always going to agree with people. We have lots of disagreements in life about what we believe, especially when it comes to things like abortion or homosexuality or some of those hot topics. At A time in my life when I was on the board of directors of a pro-life organization, I had a lot of friends who were on the Planned Parenthood board. Does that mean that I judged them or didn't like them or criticized them? No. The fact of the matter is we focused on what we had in common. We built relationships on the positiveness of each other rather than what we disagreed with. Another example, my pastor in his former church, he tells the story about how he asked a friend to dress up in raggedy clothes and kind of be a little dirty and unkept and come to church and see how people treated him. I'm sure you're not surprised to know that he was treated differently than had he been dressed in proper clothing. 
because we tend to judge people by their looks. We jump to conclusions. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to see people through his eyes, love them through his eyes, and not be judgmental. So we're talking about judging people wrongly. We want to be careful about that because Jesus warns us about that. There are consequences. There are natural consequences that happen with that. Things can boomerang back on you, and there are spiritual consequences as well. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, Do not judge, lest you be judged. Who's going to judge us? Well, it could be other people. It could also be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he holds us accountable for every word that we speak and for every attitude of our heart. He then goes on to say, For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Oh, that's really painful when we see that we're going to be judged in that same way as we look at others. That's not what God wants, and we don't want it either. We don't want to be considered in a negative way in other people's eyes. So why do we look at other people in a negative way? It is not God-honoring. It's not beneficial to us. But it's such a good example that Jesus uses because if we put ourselves into that place and say, we're going to be judged exactly the same way we're judging someone else, it changes your attitude. I've been around friends who are so positive and uplifting and encouraging, and it's such a joy to be with them. I've been around people who are negative and critical of everything and everyone. And I walk into my house and feel like I have to take a shower after I've been with them. I feel dirty. So it's up to us when we have the opportunities to share positive things. We don't have to put down the people who are putting down other people. But we could say positive things that change the conversation rather than talking about judgmental things. When I first became a believer, I was with a group of people planning for teaching VBS. And the discussion quickly went to the pastor and what they didn't like about him. I just brought in some real positive things that changed the whole attitude. The discussion stopped and people apologized for what they said that will make a difference if we do the right thing. Well, that's what my mother always told us to do. First of all, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. But if you could say something nice and change the subject, that was what we were supposed to do. Well, Jesus goes on in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, and he's going to give us a word picture. He says, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, And look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Did you notice that Jesus called those people hypocrites? He did that a lot. He called the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hypocrites, because they would say one thing and do another. And that's what we do. When Jesus says that we have a log in our eye, That means we're full of sin, and we're ignoring the sin in our lives to point out the sin in other people's lives. That's not what he wants. As followers of Jesus, we should be more concerned about getting rid of the sin in our lives and the hypocrisy rather than looking at the negative of others. But again, that goes back to the idea that we cover up our sin by looking at negatives in others. It's interesting that the brother has a speck. 
and the person who's critical and wants to help that brother has a log. So there's a big contrast in what's going on here. So somebody's trying to pick and be really picky with somebody else when their sin is so much more obvious. The situation isn't that brother doesn't have a speck and might need help with that speck, but you're not the person qualified to do it, at least at this point. So it says, first, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you can help your brother, but not until you do that. Well, we're told in Romans 2, 1 through 3, that oftentimes we're guilty of the same things that we judge other people for. That passage reads, therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. There's a consequence there. God will judge us when we judge others. Goes on to say in verse 3, But do you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? (laughs) The answer is no, we won't. God will hold us accountable. And it will change our attitudes and our personalities when we focus on the negative of others rather than focusing on their positives, focusing on them through God's eyes, and focusing on what God would have us do in relationships. And Debbie, you and I have talked about blind spots before. We all have our blind spots. And how can you know what they are if it's a blind spot? By definition, you're not going to know what it is. And so you either have to ask someone else, or one of the most important ways to do this is to pray and to ask God. And I think of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He's the one that can bring those up to us. So we need to make a short list of things that we need to put before the Lord so that he can keep us humble and in line. Mm, Absolutely. Now, does all of this mean that we are not to ever judge other people's sins? Understand that it's not for us to be the type of people that tell other people what they do wrong or how they look wrong or how they should dress or other things like that. That's between them and God and them and their spouse. And, you know, it's not for us to point out everybody's faults. However, when it comes to sin, we do have a responsibility. Now, we have to be very careful in that because it's, again, not always our responsibility to point out someone's sin blatantly to them. Perhaps it is, but we have to make sure that God is the one telling us rather than God being the one to convict them of their sins. But see, we tend to judge a person by our own standards, and that's different than judging them by God's standards. God lays out directives in handling sin in church, and we're responsible for following it. One of those principles is in Matthew 18. You can read it on your own verses 15 to 17. But God clearly lays out instructions here for how the leaders of the church are supposed to deal with sinners in the church. It's called church discipline. And in so doing, the elders are called to confront the sinner so as to bring restoration in that person's life. Not to judge them, not to be critical of them, not to take it to the church unless it comes to that final point, but for the purpose of restoration. Did you notice it's the elders who are supposed to do it? It's not you and me, unless God tells us to. But if we don't confront sin in the church, 
then it will spread. People will think it's okay to do these things because so-and-so is doing it. Well, it has to be dealt with in order for the church to be pure before the Lord. So there's a process that's very clear that belongs to the elders of the church, like you said. Um, There are several steps that you go through in order to do this, and then you know that you're doing it according to God's standards. So we can judge unrighteously, which we've talked about before, or we can judge righteously, and when we do that, we're doing it according to his standards and the things that he's laid out. And he tells us in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you're not tempted as well. So we have a responsibility as Christians. But again, only if God tells us to. Because we have that tendency to look at people's negatives and we could go right up to somebody and criticize them for something that we don't agree with or that we think is sin. An example might be if someone goes to an R-rated movie and you have a conviction of not going to R-rated movies. Well, you might have a tendency of criticizing them or telling them that R-rated movies are not godly and they shouldn't be going to them. Well, that's not for us to be telling people. That's their conviction before the Lord. When I first became a believer, I smoked, and nobody ever told me to stop smoking except God. The idea is that when it comes to those things, it's up to God to tell us if it's a blatant sin that affects the church, that's a different story, and it needs to be dealt with properly. A passage that's fascinating to me is 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, because Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate it with sexually immoral people. I did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with greedy or swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate it with any so-called brother if he is sexually immoral person or a greedy person, or idolater, or is verbally abusive, or habitually drunk, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? The answer, of course, is yes. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the evil person from among yourselves. Paul makes it clear. We can't judge other people. They don't know that they're sinning because they don't have a relationship with God. However, within the church, God says we're not even to eat with people who are blatantly turning away from God. So there is a time to judge people according to God's standards, but with the proper motives, with the right heart, with much prayer, and with the purpose of restoration, not for criticizing them. This reminds me of Jesus eating with the sinners and was criticized for doing such a thing. But He went to those people to create a relationship with them so that he could draw them to himself. So these are sinners, which we all are and we all were before we ever came to Christ. So how else can we bring people to him unless we do associate with them? Another passage in 1 Timothy 5, 19-21 talks about this importance of church discipline. It says, Do not accept an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. That's significant because the Old Testament tells us the same thing. We have a tendency to believe a negative about someone with one witness who may or may not be accurate. 
we need two or three witnesses in order to confront a brother about their sin. Verse 20 then says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Now that there's a church discipline process that we just talked about in Matthew 18 that has to be followed before you get to the point of taking it to all. But it can change a person's life if they know that their sin is going to be brought before the congregation. In 1 Timothy 5.21, Paul goes on to say, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. Did you catch that? Without bias. Not judging, not expecting something because that's how you feel about it. Doing it with not a spirit of partiality, of separating them, but instead of bringing them back into the fold of reconciliation. That's always the purpose of confronting someone with their sins. That's what God would have us do. In this example, this would be an elder who is continuing to sin before you would bring it up before the entire body. So there is that process in order to judge righteously within the church, and it's for restoration, as you said. It's not for condemnation, without bias, two or three witnesses, in the spirit of gentleness, and speaking the truth in love. I have a pastor friend from another state who told us a story one time of how his music pastor was having an affair with a woman in the church. And so they followed the church discipline and they confronted the music pastor and they confronted the woman. And by the way, they were both married to different people. And both of them said, well, we're in love. We're going to divorce our spouses. We're going to get married. We love each other. It's what God wants for us. You know, the whole nine yards is how they explained it. And so the church said, well, this is not the truth of God's word. And they went through the word of God with them and shared it all. And they said, nope, we're going to continue. And so after they'd done everything they could in following the Matthew 18 principle, they told them that in the following Sunday, they were going to bring them up before the congregation and share what they had done with the congregation. Because that's what God tells us to do is make it public. Well, it was that that broke them. That's when they both realized that what they'd been doing was sinning. It was against God. It was against their spouses, against their church. It was wrong. And they did actually encourage the church to have them go before the church that Sunday. And they confessed their sin before the church. They broke up. They restored their marriages because of that church discipline. There's a reason God lays that out to confront sin publicly if it comes to that. Because it will change our lives and bring us back to God. We're not to judge people, but we are called to be discerning. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, that's quite an interesting statement. But he's talking about dogs, which were not those cute, cuddly things we sleep in our beds. They were the mangy, rabid animals that were vicious And he says, don't waste your time giving holy things to dogs. They don't know how to appreciate them or use them. And then when he talks about not throwing your pearls before swine, pigs were unholy animals. 
Jews were not allowed to eat them. They weren't kosher. And so for Jews to throw what is their prized possession of pearls before swine is a complete waste of using what God has given us in life. So God says we need to be discerning about things, but not judgmental. And there is a fine line there, but we need to follow God in each one of these so that we know what he would have us do. So how do we learn to live by that golden rule? We're told in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Did you notice? Ask, seek, knock. Ask, A, seek, S, knock, K. And that's ask, A, S, K. And he goes on to say, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. So stopping right there, let's consider that. If we meet someone, we should be asking God how he wants us to honor or bless this person. We should be asking God what's in their heart. We should be looking to God to give us wisdom. We should seek him out in all of these things. And then when it says knock, knock at the door of God for anything that we have need. Now the context here is not judging. The context deals with the golden rule. So this is all about seeking God in anything and everything, but specifically in relationships. He goes on to say in verse nine, or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So we're reminded in the middle of all this, turn to God. And I love the example here. I'll do anything for my kids and my grandkids, and I'll give them anything. And even when they mess up or do something that's wrong, I still want to bless them and honor them and give them the best. And that's what our Heavenly Father wants for us. So rather than shaming ourselves because of people we've judged or things we've done wrong, let's realize how much God loves us and wants to meet our needs if we will just ask him, seek him, and knock on his door. Sometimes we ask for things that aren't good for us. Our children ask for things that aren't good for us, so he gives us every good gift. He may say no or direct us in another direction if something isn't quite good for us. You won't give your 10-year-old the keys to the car just because he thinks that'd be great. You might give him a skateboard if he's mature enough to handle that. But sometimes when it says we'll get anything and everything we ask for, I think it's tempered by what God's wisdom would have for us as defined by what is a good gift. Yes. God lays out clearly in the golden rule that if we want respect from others, we're to first respect and honor them. That means looking to God to change our hearts first, taking the log out of our own eye first so that we have the right attitudes towards others. We're not to judge because that's arrogant. That's selfish. Instead, we're to turn to Jesus and follow him and his directives. We'll be able to love when we do. We'll be able to care for others genuinely, treat them properly, and see them through Christ's eyes. Then... People will do the same for us. Isn't that what we ultimately want? And isn't that what God wants? Absolutely. He wants us 
as much as possible to be at peace with all men. And that means with ourselves and with others. So we need to see them through God's eyes, not ours. We need to treat them with honor and respect, just as Jesus treats us. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.